Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast, specifically uh, Ethically Sourced, which is a weekly supplement to the podcast where I talk about subject matter related to medical ethics and health equity with the goal of allowing you, the listener, to make better informed decisions about your patients and provide more culturally competent, ethical, and equitable care. Today's uh, topic was inspired by a conversation I had on Twitter with some other physicians and some uh, bioethicists. And the topic came from a tweet that was directed towards surgeons, but specifically the question was asked, are you ethically obligated to disclose your case volume to your patients, specifically when you're newly trained on a surgical technology and the patient before you is the first live case you're doing on a human? And I thought it was a very good question, something to think about. Obviously, I am not a surgeon, but when these uh, questions come up, I like to extrapolate to my own profession as you you might wonder about this to yourself. So I was an anesthesiologist, I do procedures pretty frequently uh, for for my patients and guide resident physicians in performance procedures as well. So I thought to myself, internalize it, how do I feel about what I disclose about my case volume to my patients? So I thought this was a very good conversation that unfolded on Twitter. And in the conversation, uh, a couple of papers were were, uh, posted. And one of the ones I found reading up further on this issue was entitled, Disclosure of Individual Surgeons' Performance Rates During Informed Consent. The Ethical and Epistemological Considerations was written by an Ingrid Berger, a Catherine Schill, and a Dr. Steve Goodman. And it was in the Annals of Surgery in April 2007. So the objective of this paper, it really dives down to a couple of different issues that I personally thought of you know, reading the, the tweet at face value. And obviously on Twitter, it's hard to really get into deep involved conversations. And I thought this was such a complex concept that I wanted to learn more. The, this paper examined the ethical arguments for and against disclosing certain specific performance rates to patients during informed consent and to examine the challenges that generating and using performance rates may entail for the patients. They looked at three different questions or ethical conundrums derived from this. Does surgeon-specific performance information enhance patient decision-making? Do patients want this type of information? And finally, how does the potential benefits of disclosure balance against the risk? The On the bright side, the potential disclosure of personal performance rates may enhance patient autonomy, it may improve patient decision-making, and improve the quality of care. On the flip side, some of the downsides may be Um, the inclusion of inaccurate or misleading information, the avoidance of high-risk surgical cases, or damage to the surgeon's reputation or uh, uh, disconnect in patient trust. I'm gonna dig deeper into this article, but one of the statements that first popped out as I was reading through it the first time, it says, the goal of the perfectly informed patient empowered to make the decisions by clear communication and understanding of the surgical risk is a laudable goal. But it should be clear from this discussion that we'll get into that this goal is not necessarily achieved by the calculation and reporting by individual surgeons of their performance rates to each patient. And, and so that, you know, the, the goal is enhanced communication, patient autonomy, giving them the tools they need to make these decisions and being upfront and honest and integrity, all those good things. But how do we go about it? And what is the best way to provide this information? So going back in history, um, starting around the 1990s, there has been different efforts that emerged to gather data and report on the quality of care provided by physicians of different specialties at different hospital systems. 
Initially, these measures were kind of intended for internal use only, but obviously once you, you have these, this data is going to be shared amongst institutions. One of the leading fields for this data collection was the cardiac surgery and the mortality rates and complication rates of coronary artery bypass grafting the, the cabbage surgeries that are performed. Very easy to collect this data and it's been in collection for decades now. When they were looking at this data and how they, what they should do with this collected data, they thought about, number one, if you disclose this to patients, they can make better decisions about who they get their care from and where they receive that care. And then they thought that by disclosing this information, you can improve the quality of care and encourage patients to quote unquote, vote with their feet. They'll go to the best and the brightest and it'll show who's, you know, who's got the best outcomes. And up to this date, or this is in 2007, there's no research that confirmed whether public disclosure has achieved either of those potential benefits. Some of the things that you can imagine that might happen when you start tracking this data and publishing this data, you know, with high volume hospitals for different procedures, the outcomes are better, the complications are lower, you have higher volume, you have more experienced surgeons, you have a more streamlined system compared to smaller, low volume facilities. Cardiac surgeons who perform more cabbages have statistically lower risk adjusted mortality rates than those who perform fewer, it's common sense. So one of the dangers that exists is that if you are with this data available, obviously nobody wants to go to the, the least skilled surgeon or less skilled surgeon. However, one, it, it creates a, a healthcare disparity, but two, those surgeons that are average or mediocre don't have the chance to improve their, their skills. Not that they're practicing, but you know we do practice medicine and we continue to get better over time. This paper, as they dig into this, this topic, they first start by looking at the legal standards for disclosure. The legal standard, we need to be providing informed consent for these patients. This includes discussing the nature of the surgery, the risk benefits, potential alternatives, and expected post-operative course. Determining what counts as relevant information and how specific this information needs to be is somewhat open to interpretation. And an earlier proposed informed consent standard, there's three kind of standards of consent. The professional standard, which is basically what does your colleague in the field disclose to their patients, what is typical for them to talk about. This evolved into the, the more idealized uh, reasonable person standard. So what does a reasonable person want to know about this uh, open heart surgery? What would you disclose to the reasonable person? What do they want to know? And then finally, we arrived on the subjective standard, which is a discussion between that physician and the patient, understand their goals and ideals, and discuss information in that regard. It's kind of a hybrid model, a blending of the professional standard and the reasonable person standard, kind of customized and tailored. The Supreme Court talked, this article references two cases that they tried, which actually reached opposite conclusions on this matter. Um, in the case, it's back in 1996, Johnson versus Kokomore, the Supreme Court of Wisconsin ruled that a surgeon's experience and risk stat statistics did fall under the purview of the informed consent doctrine. They stated that in this case, information regarding a physician's experience in performing a particular procedure, a physician's risk statistics as compared with those of other physicians who perform that procedure, and the availability of other centers and physicians better able to perform a procedure would have facilitated the plaintiff's awareness of all the viable alternatives available. And this would have enhanced and aided her informed consent. In a similar court case, this occurred in 2001, Dutchry versus Patterson. 
and this, the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania reached a different conclusion, stating that the personal information about the physician, including their experience and qualifications, is outside the scope of the legal doctrine of informed consent. And the definition they used kind of focused on information about the surgical procedure itself, implicitly stating or assuming that this is separate from that particular surgeon's data. It was unclear right now, you know, what the federal courts consider the, the standard of care when it comes to informed consent. When we look at the ethical principles underlying informed consent, right, we talk about a legal question and it's not quite settled. The primary ethical principle with informed consent is respect for patient autonomy. We want the patient to be able to make an informed decision based upon the available data. The question of whether the information related to a surgeon's skills should be added to the current list of disclosed items has been discussed in other uh, articles. Some have argued that because a surgeon's skill as reflected in their personal performance record is relevant to patient decision-making, disclosure is required during informed consent. We typically discuss reasonable foreseeable risk of a procedure or an operation, and because of the individual surgeon's skills in performing this as a component, it should be disclosed. Now, this, this argument was going on to require divulging surgeon-specific performance rates um, and this would be based upon the accuracy and veracity of this data. So as we know in, in healthcare, as we collect these metrics, they're not always perfect and they can be very hard to decipher and to put into context for fellow clinicians, let alone patients coming for their procedure. Now, is surgeon-specific performance information accurate enough to enhance patient decision-making? So they describe a couple of different studies where after controlling for the mortality rate at a certain hospital for their esophagectomies, they found that after controlling for uh, different hospital volume, the difference in operative mortality rate for two procedures, esophagectomies and cabbages, for esophagectomies, the difference ranged from 9% to about 18%, and for cabbages from 4% to 5.5%, the difference being surges with high and low volumes. So when we're obtaining these informed consents from patients, it is currently common practice for a surgeon to discuss or, or proceduralists to discuss the general morbidity mortality rates based upon the regional, national, or published averages and the common risk and complications. There's big challenges, though, to generate this accurate information. Information is always changing. It's hard to, you know, who's putting their numbers in and who is not. So, so it's very challenging to actually give accurate data from which the patient can then make an informed decision. Are they making a truly informed decision if the data they're basing their decision upon is inaccurate? Additionally, when you try to look at individual surgeon performance rates, it's difficult to calculate that and who are you comparing these surgeons to. So, so the data is just very difficult to actually drill down and provide accurate, reliable information. You know, so if the goal is to empower patients, you know, are we truly empowering them if we aren't able to provide the information that they need? We can attempt to, you know, and I think our hearts are in the right place. We're trying to, but, you know, we're not quite there yet. Typically, these uh, risk prediction models are mostly recommended for application at the institutional or departmental level and not at the level of the individual patient or the individual uh, surgeon or, or practitioner. Typically, you know, surgeons and anesthesiologists, we all don't, we don't work in isolation. We're connected to the hospital systems, the hospital systems at which we work. So if you've got problems in your intensive care unit or your uh, cardiac surgery unit, then you know, that's going to affect your outcomes, it's going to affect your data and your numbers. So how do you calculate that when you're discussing these with your patients? 
as surgeons are discussing their their rates of complications and their statistics, do we do they also need to discuss the uh, hospital central line associated bloodstream infection rate, the CLABSI rate, or the or the um, catheter associated urinary tract infection rate, um, or the fall risk? Right, all that stuff goes into play in terms of the risk associated to the patient. So, my biggest question throughout all this is, where do you start to draw the line between? what you need to disclose versus what everybody else needs to disclose. It's almost like Pandora's box that once it's open, you know, where do you shut it? Where do you draw the line? Got to ask the question though, do these patients really want this information, right? It may feel, it feels a little paternalistic to even ask that question, but you know, there's certain things that we have to provide, but what do patients want to know? So physicians are required to provide certain types of information to patients, including the nature, risk, benefits, and alternatives of a procedure, regardless of whether or not the patient wants or requests it. Personal information that is considered irrelevant to the quality of a patient's care and decision-making is part of the sphere of protected private information that a physician may choose to disclose or not to disclose. There is, however, a third category of information that physicians may not provide routinely, but do disclose in response to a patient's request. There seems, uh, you know, there's little doubt that the surgeon-specific performance information does not fall into the category of protected personal information because it is extremely relevant to the quality of patient care as provided. And it doesn't intrude on the physician's personal privacy as uh, other information might. The question that's at hand is if this information falls into the category of information that must always be provided or must only be must always be provided only upon request. So it's, it's helpful to see how do patients use this information. So they, they actually did some studies of patients and their views of surgeon report cards for cabbage mortality rates. This suggested that few patients are aware that such information exists, first of all. Few access these report cards at the appropriate time to be able to make these informed decisions. And few patients actually change their choice of surgeons based upon this information. Obviously, we can't extrapolate that to every patient. Um, every patient is different, but in general, this is what they found in, in their research. So as we measure the value of disclosure by whether or not patients actually change surgeons, it fails to recognize that patients may value the information even if they don't leave their surgeon or if they don't have a choice in the same way that they value information about surgical complications in a surgery that is urgent or, or non-elective at least. Patients have reported in other research studies that the factor that most influences their choice in physician or surgeon is, is advice from friends about where to go, kind of word of mouth. So there's risk and benefits from, from these disclosures. The, Advantages, like we mentioned before, increased patient autonomy, better patient decision-making, and potentially an improved quality of surgical care for that patient. Um, however, some disclosures may have some disadvantages, such as the possibility of inaccurate data being reported. If surgeons are going to be penalized on bad outcomes, are they going to start avoiding some of those high-risk cases? Are they going to start cherry-picking patients? and then possibly you know, damage a surgeon's reputation where they're maybe young or junior and now they have a, a bad track record because they haven't actually honed their, their skill set. There is another issue when it comes into um, health equity. There's a concern for justice about decreased access to surgery, decreased access to the best surgery. Once we know who has the best surgeons, I mean, typically there's a hierarchy in academic medicine, whether it's the Harvard or the Mayo Clinics, if you're able to provide funding, then you can receive the best care. If you can't, you get whoever is at your community hospital. You know, they could be fantastic, 
they might not be, but there is, you know, the, the two-tiered kind of health system just based upon resources. There's this concern of unequal access to high-performing surgeons. High-performing surgeons are a limited resource which all patients theoretically should have an equal chance of access to. However, patients who have better resources will prefer treatment and pursue treatment from higher performing surgeons more successfully than those patients with fewer resources. When it comes to patients who are undergoing urgent or emergent surgery or who don't have a choice of their surgeon for other reasons, it's less clear if this uh, information really enhances patient decision-making um, in such situations, the patient's expressed desire for this information, sure, go ahead and share it, but it, it may not change the management if they're going to you know, go emergently back for some procedure that they need done at this hospital at this time. Um, when you're providing this information, probably, you know, as an anesthesiologist, I don't have prolonged clinic visits, so I imagine that surgeons discuss with their patients to get them ready for surgery, you know, it's better to have these conversations in a more longitudinal relationship. So once again, this, this goal of empowering patients to make these decisions with all this uh, data and information is, is a very good goal, is very idealistic to have. However, it's not necessarily achieved by the calculation reporting of individual clinicians and their performance rates to each patient. For most procedures and for most uh, uh, surgeons, the performance rates, they're just too inaccurate to actually be useful. When it comes to the data that is provided. This data provided doesn't necessarily enhance patient decision-making, and this can actually lead to a lot more additional harms. For most surgical procedures and outcomes, the accuracy of surgeon-specific performance rates is, is incorrect. With these limitations, it's not appropriate that uh, surgeons be ethically obligated to communicate these numbers to patients as part of the informed consent process. This is speaking specifically to the uh, procedural and outcomes data. This article suggests that a better approach is to inform patients of the quantity of procedures that they have performed and uh, maybe provide a relative institutional or relevant institutional number. Um, with that regards, you know, I still don't think that tells the whole story. And, and that specifically goes to the question that was raised on, on Twitter. So if you learn a new surgical technique, this is the first patient you're trying it on, you know, how much of that are you supposed to disclose? And my thoughts of it are, you know, the number of times you've done this procedure, you know, what, how much data is, is behind that? So you could have a physician who does the procedure wrong 10 times or 50 times or 100 times and has terrible outcomes or a physician who's done the procedure for the first time or, or five times and has had impeccable stellar outcomes. So again, getting fixated on the numbers and the hard data points to me is not the most effective way to provide what we want to provide, which is patient autonomy and the best, best care possible for our patients. But I think getting hung up on, on the numbers and details without the appropriate context is, is kind of a flawed uh, logic. There is uh, ambiguity in this risk concept when it applies to individual patients. Is the goal of this, this, this disclosure to inform the patient generally about the skill of the surgeon or to give the patient an accurate picture of their own risk? So we, we got to answer that question in terms of what are we doing with this data? Again, how do you implement new surgeons who don't have large caseloads? Obviously, coming out of residency, we do have a minimum caseload to practice, whether it's anesthesia procedure, surgery. There are metrics. That's the beauty of residency. 
for physicians that we do have a standard and um, we, we all have to meet certain criteria, certain milestones. But with a new surgeon starting out, their rates are probably going to be horribly skewed because they have low volumes. So how do you navigate that scenario? And finally, you know, who is best suited to provide this performance information to patients? Some data this article references says that probably primary care physicians or the patient's referring physician is best suited to provide an unbiased account of these metrics. However, the surgeons themselves have that distinct knowledge of these surgical procedures, and they know how to better explain the risk and benefits to the patients. Finally, you know, who's responsible for collecting and calculating this data? Is it going to be done at a national level or institutional level? I think it's critical to separate the ethical obligation to disclose during the consent process from the ethical obligation of the individual surgeon, their institution, and the profession to ensure that there are monitoring and training systems to assess and improve surgical skills and quality. So, um, again, this is just a, a fantastic article and, and concept to really think about. The initial question raised on Twitter involved someone who was newly trained on a specific surgical technology. You know, as physicians, you can go back and, and learn new stuff. And then what do you tell the patient the first time that you are performing a procedure on them? Personally, I think once you've gone through the requisite training, whether, you know, for residency or fellowship or um, a, a robotics course or whatever the procedure is, someone has deemed you competent to perform a procedure on a patient, whether that's the hospital system that you work for or the licensing and credentialing body that you, you studied under. Therefore, you are competent to perform a surgery. And depending on how you feel, your internal ethics, uh, what you feel is appropriate, that's what you disclose. Obviously, the patient asks um, questions, you know, nothing to hide. But I think um, just regurgitation of random numbers and data with out appropriate context can definitely cause more harm than good. So what are your thoughts? Um, hope you enjoyed this journal club. Let's see, the article that we just finished discussing was entitled Disclosure of Individual Surgery Performance Rates During Informed Consent, Ethical and Epistemological Considerations. It appeared in the April 2007 edition of Annals of Surgery. Thank you for joining us on Ethically Sourced, the supplement to the Black Doctors podcast. I am Dr. Stephen Bradley, your host. What do you think of today's episode? If you like what you heard, consider uh, leaving a comment or a review on iTunes as that really helps the show to grow and spread. Um, feel free to slide over and, and help sponsor us as, as that puts uh, allows us to continue to grow and, and get more reach. Tune in Monday for another episode of the Black Doctors podcast with, with me and uh, whatever special guests that we're, we're going to have. Um, Tune in next week. Stay safe and practice ethically.